0: Hey! Hello! What's up, everybody? Podcast Detection is back. Uh, this is Sophie from the future. I'm editing this episode right now. First of all, I'm sorry it's been so long since we released something. Uh, but also, I wanted to let you know a couple things about this episode. So first of all, it's with the lovely Cass, who plays Jodie Marsh and the new Canton Soldier from the song Raise the Gates in Act 1, and all sorts of things that she does for us around the ZRTM workspace. Uh, and we talked so much during this episode that I decided to split it into two parts. So there are going to be two parts up here in Cass. Uh, that's great for everybody. We love to listen to Cass. So good stuff. Um, second, I recorded this episode on a day when there were lots of life things happening for me. Some difficult things were going on and I didn't think it was going to affect my podcasting very much, but then now as I'm editing it, I'm noticing, oh, hmm, wow. I sound really tired and low energy and a little bit sad. So just want to let you know, uh, I'm not super proud of my performance here, but Cass is so good that I didn't want you to miss out on her. So, we're releasing the episode anyway. Um, We're releasing it in two parts, but just wanted to give you a heads up. uh, If I sound a little less interesting and vibrant than normal, that's why. So, all that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Podcast Detected, where we say good morning to the apocalypse and face every zombie with a song. Welcome to Podcast Detected, uh, the new Podcast Detected, I guess. It's a little
1: unclear what the actual title is now. Um, I mean, we've been having control for like a year, so I feel like if it's new, then it's a little bit less new now. That's a good point.
0: Welcome to the little (laughs) bit less new Podcast Detected. (laughs) Um, I'm Sophie, I, uh, wrote Zombies Run the Musical, um and played Sam Yao in that. Uh, the whole thing is now released, so you can listen to Acts 1 and 2, and they're all on our website. And
1: cry endlessly, because Sophie is a criminal <laughs> who does emotion crimes. Wow, okay, I'm getting called out. <laughs> um, I say that affectionately. We love to cry here. That's why we're all involved in a zombie's Themed media that's true, that's true. I feel like uh she's already made herself known at this point, but do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? <laughs> yes, I'm very mysterious and good at keeping quiet. This is great. Um, this is why you asked me on the podcast right That's true. Uh, my name's Cass. Hi, hello. Uh, I voice Jody Marsh. I've also um done a few other things, mostly like downloading line art for some uh, you know. Bits for the acts, and then being involved, emotionally supportive on the Discord. uh, Telling people when they should be going to bed when they're in a different time zone than me, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Cass is like our mom. (laughs) 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 Um,
0: So, what the plan for this episode, slightly different. I mean, previous, previous episodes we've talked a lot about individual characters and individual character arcs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Because we've released both Acts 1 and 2 and can finally, this is the first episode where we can actually talk about all of them together um, as a complete mm-hmm. story instead of just little bits or little characters. And we don't have to do the whole without spoiling anything. Uh, what are you looking forward to in Acts 2? We F2? have nothing
1: to spoil <laughs> besides the zombies run itself. Exactly. So, uh, total spoilers for
0: seasons one through three of Zombies Run. Um, uh, but if you've listened to the musical at this point, um, there are no more spoilers because they're all they're all out there. It's all happened. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the whole thing, um, the story as a whole, and why mm-hmm. some things happen the way that they do, and about different characters.
1: We're going to jump around a lot. It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. It'll be a good time. <laughs> I hope you're ready, Sophie, because I do have all my big brain takes prepared for this. I have... Uh, I stopped at one, two, three, four pages of Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, And stopped at just before Cynthia's father because I ran out of time to take notes on the rest of the show.
0: (laughs) I am so ready. That sounds fantastic.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Some of them are just, this made me cry so much. Why do you do this? (laughs) So those we can skim over a little bit.
0: Actually, we can start. I don't have this written down in my notes, but I do want to ask, um, because you did play Jody, who went mm-hmm. from, I think, a line in Welcome to Abel to a couple more lines in Act 2. So, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of just actual screen time, or I guess play time, audio time, um, didn't end up with a ton of... Uh, airtime that's what I'm looking for (laughs) not lots of (laughs) airtime um what was it like playing that part and Mm -hmm. how did you feel about going from the little welcome to able line to the little parts in act two like how did you approach that
1: well actually one of the jokes I had made with some of my family members and like friends in that that I was I've told the musical about because I can't stop talking about it is that um I'm my line rate increased by three hundred percent for Act Two <laughs> because instead of having one line, I have three lines by myself. Um, but it, it was fun. I mean, Jody is one of my favorite characters in Zombies Run, and I have gotten her result in the "Which Zombies Run Character Are You?" quiz that I've done in the past. Um, but like, I can also understand like her plot line in season three is a little bit can be cut for efficiency's sake and that sort of thing. It wasn't essential to the rest of the story that you tell, so I I can see why you made those decisions. And, you know, it was just fun to rep my yarn girl Mm -hmm. and um, do a fun little... I advocated strongly to be the new Canton soldier at the end of Raise the Gates so that I could pretend to be Nadia and we can have that nod to (laughs) Zombies Run as well, where uh, those two characters are played by the same voice actor too, so...
0: Yes, I completely Mm -hmm. forgot
1: that that was another
0: (laughs) role that you had. I remember recording Raise the Gates and kind of getting to the end and being ready to release it and be like, oh my gosh, who's going to play the random soldier? And you're just like, yep, I'll do it. See, that's what I mean when I say you had a really huge role. (laughs) That's a lot more than just Jodie. It's
1: like, and now I'll do a bad Scottish accent or my best Scottish accent, which probably is like mediocre at best. (laughs) I'm sorry, Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, um, I want to talk about something
0: you were asking me about just before we started recording, which is mm-hmm. uh, why the musical is in three seasons. Oh, it's yeah. It's about three seasons yeah. instead of two. So do you want to talk more about what you're wondering?
1: I have a theory as to why you did this, but like, if you look at it from a plot structure-wise... Act one and two lends itself much better to being a full complete arc than like adding or sorry, seasons one and two make a little bit more of an arc. You've got the one villain going through it and that sort of thing. But then when we added season three as well, you kind of change the direction of the story on it. And I have like a analysis perspective, but I wanted to know like why you thought that it was so essential to include season three in the first in in the musical itself. So, I mean, okay, the really practical,
0: non-artistic reason is just that when I first had the idea for the musical, it was based on the Tumblr post that Drew made, and Mm. most of her notes were about Moonchild stuff. So, the first musical thoughts that I had, based on her ideas, were about Moonchild plot elements, and so Mm. I knew that I wanted to do the Moonchild story, but I also knew that you you can't really start there. <laughs> you kind of have to do all the lead-in. <laughs> um, and that there's so much potential for the story of Five coming to Abel. And so to get from there to the whole Moonchild story is just a lot. And so that that's, I think, practically why mm-hmm. that ended up happening. Artistically, mm-hmm. um, what ended up being kind of the motivation for having those two almost separate stories come together is that I think there are a lot of character arcs or themes that are started in season two that end up being resolved in season three or at least kind of Mm -hmm. find their climax in season three um Mm -hmm. Simon is a big reason (laughs) to have both (laughs) um your heart is full of Simon thoughts yes exactly if you if you don't have if you have just Seasons 1 and 2, there's actually almost no reason to include Simon at all. I might have just cut the character um, mm. altogether.
1: And then we would be without the
0: King of the Apocalypse. And we'd be without the King of the Apocalypse. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Five Story, to me, a lot of it is Five being initially reluctant upon coming to Abel to accept the fact that there is not a safe home, necessarily, but some kind of home and some kind of family in the middle of this Mm -hmm. world that's full of monsters. Um, Mm -hmm. And that the process of act one and really kind of the process of acts one and two, or sorry, seasons Mm -hmm. one and two is five coming to accept that this home exists. And then that acceptance or that belief being shattered at the end of season two, Mm -hmm. when Sarah dies and when, Simon turns out to be a traitor Um, and Mm. when
1: I mean everything that happens with Van Ark and I mean even like season two itself ends with this huge revelation that Abel is not safe right
0: oh and everybody leaving so like Maxine's gone Mm. Um, all that Mm. sort of takes that uh, hard-won acceptance on five's part that there's there's maybe a home that's at least stable and it's not stable anymore Mm. And then that mm-hmm. act two, then, is the resolution of that story. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think, I think I've said elsewhere that what the musical is really about is how love compels the worst of us to come back home. And that story can't really be told unless, there's, unless you leave. <laughs> Someone has to leave mm. home. And five, at least emotionally and mentally, kind of leaves Abel between Acts 1 and Mm 2, and Simon literally leaves Abel between Acts 1 and (laughs) 2, and Maxine and everyone else, they all leave Abel between Acts Mm -hmm. 1 and 2, and so I think telling that story meant also telling the story of season 3. So yeah, I think, I don't know, that's that's my answer to it. What was your theory?
1: (laughs) Oh, so I don't know how conscious this was on your part, but one of the things I noticed is that there's this, like, this is me being really analytical and that, but there's this ideological conflict that happens between altruism and narcissism Mm. Um, to kind of borrow the words from mercenary manifesto. So we have um, you kind of set up then when you have these two extremes, we actually have the two villains of the piece being foils for each other on opposite ends of this extreme where you have Van Ark, who's very self-centered about remaking the world in his own image and uh, gaining his own power. And then you have Cynthia, whose entire motivation is revealed to be um, self-sacrifice to the point of losing her life so that everybody else can be happy. Mm. And granted, it is like a warp-twisted version, but you kind of have these two ideological extremes of like, I'm going to make the better... world better for me personally at the cost of everyone else versus i'm going to make the world better for everyone else at the cost of myself Mm. so like having that and then there's abel right in the middle who are like trying to carve out their own little piece of home um and like it starts off you discover in some of the flashback scenes with Chris, like Dunbar numbers, um, that's a sociological concept, which says that you can really only have a stable community with about 300 people. Um, An individual can have about 300 people that they know and uh, like five, like best friend friends Mm -hmm. to be able to interact with. Otherwise it starts to like degrade socially. Um, So Abel starts off being like this very warm and welcoming place where like yeah, everybody chips in and pulls their weight, um, but it's only limited to able residents. Mm. They get more in, developed in that with like the relationship changing with New Canton and that. But like, yeah. Yeah.
0: When you put it that way, with the difference between altruism and narcissism, Wait for the Light, I think, is kind of the resolution of all of that. Because mm. Wait for the Light is... It's not narcissistic, and it's not really altruistic either. It's just Mm -hmm. an expression of love. And Mm -hmm. I think one thing that was really important to me when writing that song is that what Sam says, the, the final lines, and he says this, I mean, he repeats it, is the, when I think that life can't be worth the work of going on. It's not, I find my value or worth in some other person even this person that I love it's uh whatever lives beyond the sky thank you for my life Mm -hmm. which is an acknowledgement of worth of his life and his life being a gift um Mm -hmm. so it's rooted in love for another person so it's not narcissistic but it's also not self-giving to the point of self-destruction so I think that kind of ties together all those ideas. Um speaking of that song, if there were one song or if you were to pick one song that were like the heart like what the whole musical is really about, what do you think mm-hmm. it would be? Like across both acts, one and two.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um I honestly think that it might be Voice in the Dark. Mm. Um I mean, granted, that's the first one that you wrote. So it's kind of the center place place for the whole musical Mm -hmm. is like that's the foundation is voice in the dark. But like thematically, um, hope is something that comes up so strongly, especially with Sam's character. But like even with the other characters and that sort of thing, you see a lot of... um, self-sacrifice with the hopes that it'll mean something more Mm. like in Veronica with Chris and with, I will be waiting with Sarah and like that sort of thing. You're seeing these like characters who are kind of passing the torch and like, there's no certainty. um, There's no guarantees, but like voice in the dark is also the main evolution of the, if you can hear me, which is a line that you use a lot Um, throughout the piece. And that's kind of where it's you first, it's literally one of the first lines that Sam says is the, Hey, if you can hear me, it's the first words that are sung during the overture, Mm -hmm. but the way they gain weight in voice in the dark. And that's where they become kind of symbolic of Sam and five's relationship and Sam and five's feelings for each Mm -hmm. other um, that evolve eventually until like Um, I will always bring you home, where it's the culmination of, like, this probably isn't going to work, but five, if you can hear me. Mm -hmm. And it just gains and shifts meaning. And, yeah, it's a really good line.
0: (laughs) Dang it. I wanted to have an argument about this, but I kind of agree with you. I think that's probably (laughs) not true. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it's the first... I mean, I think I probably said this after Act 1 released, but it's the first time that you actually Mm -hmm. understand Sam's character at all. And it's sort Mm -hmm. of... I mean, okay, so musicals just structurally tend to start with an... Mm -hmm. There's your opening number, and then as soon as humanly possible, there's the I want song, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. your main character with the thing that they want. Five doesn't sing, (laughs) so... (laughs) <laughs> uh, there's not really an I Want song, but I think maybe A Voice in the Dark is the closest thing that we get to an I Want song. Um, at least, if you think about the musical as about Sam, if you think about Sam as the protagonist, I don't think he is, but I think mm-hmm. you can think about it that way. I think a voice- Well, and you can also have, like, a protagonist who's not your main character as well, True. so. True.
1: hmm
0: And A Voice in the Dark really is his I Want song. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: Because- he just wants people to come home. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and five's gone, literally gone, physically Mm -hmm. gone at this point. And so it's a little, Mm -hmm. little archetype, a little symbol, mini version picture of what's going to happen when five Mm -hmm. leaves in almost a more significant way, um, Mm -hmm. between acts one and two and throughout a lot of act two. Mm -hmm. And then also of course, when five is controlled, (laughs) um, which is why that the whole motif then comes back. So yeah, I think I probably agree. I think the only other real candidate that I have is Wait for the Light, but that I think, in terms of being like the heart of the musical, is is less. That's kind of a resolution <laughs> to the overall mm-hmm. themes or questions of the whole
1: story. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Voice in the Dark really, you can track through the whole thing. <laughs> I think it comes up and again and again and again and like is really good. Actually, I didn't mention it, but I had some thoughts. Um so uh I've been listening to a lot of Sideways on YouTube lately. Mm -hmm. Um because for reasons you are aware, but I have to be vague about for legal reasons. (laughs) I have been looking into a lot of musical theory and like development of music myself. And um Sideways uh does a lot of analysis and he talks about cats. So I'm going to talk about Cats for a little bit. Um, But Cats is really interesting structurally because it's a musical where you've got the big opening and then you've got the uh, I Am songs instead of I Want songs until like uh, Memory, which is the first actual I Want song within the entire show of Cats. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really cool then the fact that Simon's character song is an I Am song Mm -hmm. and not an I Want song. Because you, like, you kind of see it for, like, Sarah in, like, Run for Your Life and a little bit with Janine for Raise the Gates. Like, you kind of get a feel for their motivations and that sort of thing. But with Simon, it's just like, ha-ha, good morning to the apocalypse. (laughs) We've got to make the most of it. I'm going to play the ukulele and (laughs) sing Waterloo and be a little bit ridiculous. And it kind of, you do a really good job with making that an I want or i am song instead of i know i want song of foreshadowing his later like actions and that sort of thing uh so i thought that was really neat
0: yeah i hadn't really thought about that well also simon's first (laughs) real i want song is of masks and monsters um yes because he doesn't really allow himself to think about what he wants Which is sort of one of his big problems (laughs) in the whole musical, is that it it takes him... He thinks he wants a certain thing without really thinking about Mm it, and then discovers Mm -hmm. that he was wrong, but at a point where he thinks Mm -hmm. it's too late to change it, Mm -hmm. which is why we don't Mm -hmm. even get his I Want song until Act Mm 2. Speaking of of Masks and Monsters,
1: I think you wanted (laughs) to talk about the forgiveness Oh, yeah. I was wondering, like, because we, you had written them kind of sequentially, Mm -hmm. um, Act One, and then you wrote Act Two, but Forgiveness, when you first introduce it, is in Of Mask and Monsters, and then it comes to a culmination, of course, in Forgiveness, Mm -hmm um but would you have incorporated that a little bit more or would it be like a leitmotif that would play underneath dialogue for some of simon's roles like would you have done anything to introduce that into act one or would you just save it for act two if you could go into it and work on it more
0: that's a really good question
1: i don't i don't know if i
0: would and the reason for that is Mm -hmm. in of masks and monsters there's something that i really really love about the song being Basically two separate parts. And there's the initial Mm -hmm. sort of rage ballad (laughs) um, (laughs) that ends with the whole, I should have died. And then kind of a pause. And then the first time you ever hear the Do You Believe in Forgiveness uh, motif. Which is just so different from the beginning of the song. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so light. Yeah, it's just like a 180 almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, like wistful. And to me, that's symbolic of, like, that's the moment, that, that little turn in the music, to me, is the mm-hmm. moment where you realize, or you would realize if you didn't know seasons one through three, um, that mm-hmm. Simon is different, or that something is different, that he has learned something
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> between the last time yeah. we saw him and the time we're seeing him now. Fun fact, I didn't really like Simon until that mission. Like, he was an alright character, but I really started to love Simon. When he's like, oh, you're actually really complicated and nuanced and you have a lot of character depth to you.
0: Right, exactly. Well, also, Mm. it's because he hides that. He doesn't really want people Mm -hmm. to know his motivations Mm -hmm. or the fact that he's complicated or things like that. Until he kind Mm -hmm. of lost everything. And once he lost Mm -hmm. everything, then it's like, what does he have to lose anymore? (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and also the fact that he's physically deformed at this point Mm -hmm. his his physical appearance was sort of how he masked what he really was like and he was able to Mm -hmm. keep a mask on and then once he became physically deformed in his mind it's like i can't i can't hide anymore because you can see what i look like Mm -hmm. so why should i Mm -hmm. hide from you
1: Yeah. And Simon is terrified of rejection, so he does that fun uh, psychological trick of if you're rejecting this mask I put on, you're never rejecting me. Yep. And nobody can really know me unless, like, you make it past this mask, which you'll never do because it's infallible. Ha ha ha.
0: Yeah. Well, also that the Mm. forgiveness—and this is, I mean, it's still kind of on the reasons not to put the forgiveness uh, motif— into Mm -hmm. Act 1, that Simon, in Close Your Eyes, when he's sort of justifying what he did, he says, um, like, after he talks about getting bitten, he says, I knew what Mm -hmm. that meant. They'd have shot me clean through. So they would have shot me. And he's like, well, Mm -hmm. that's it, right? What would you have done? Mm -hmm. If they're going to kill you, then you do what you have to do. (laughs) Um, And the whole you wanted a hero, but I'm only a man. Like, I'm not what you want Mm -hmm. me to be. Mm-hmm. So sorry. <laughs> um mm-hmm. but like that's just not who I am. And then in M- of Masks and Monsters, when he sort of does the 180 and starts talking about forgiveness and everything, what he mm-hmm. says is sometimes, and he doesn't say I think this, he says I, I sometimes I think that I want to do this. Sometimes I think that mm-hmm. I want to go back to Abel and fall on my knees and say, so like mm-hmm put myself in a vulnerable position like both Mm -hmm. like falling on your knees is both a penitent position um it means putting yourself lower Mm -hmm. than someone but it also means making yourself vulnerable to whatever they are gonna do Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. which is something simon has never done (laughs) like the totally fabulous king Mm -hmm. of the apocalypse um (laughs) that's yeah (laughs) not in his wheelhouse but that he thinks Mm -hmm. about doing that and the first thing he thinks about saying is i know that you're going to shoot me because he knew originally that's what they should have done. And
1: he mm-hmm.
0: understands that that's what they should have done now in a way that he didn't before. Um, mm-hmm. And that th- that is something, that realization that he has. the start, The start of realizing that sometimes loving people means giving up something of yourself. <laughs> he's never thought about before. And so I think having the forgiveness motif in act 1 would sort of introduce that idea too early. I I just I like the fact that the mm. music is introduced along with that idea that you don't realize yeah. that once Simon realizes that that's the first time that you get to hear that melody. Um mm-hmm. But if I were to put it in act 1, I think it would probably be I mean I'd throw it into the overture maybe somewhere. <laughs> um <laughs> As, like, a little hint Mm -hmm. of this is going to happen later. But I don't think I would include
1: it in any of the main songs of Act One. I had actually written, I liked how, because you had had a concept of seeing things um, that you included in, like, before Act Two was released. Mm -hmm. So you knew, um, or before Act One was released, sorry, wrong Act. (laughs) Um, But so you had put it in the overture as this, like, kind of melodic time bomb that doesn't go off until right at the end of Act 1 for the big, like, cliffhanger ending that we always hate six to start Mm for ending their seasons with.
0: (laughs) Right, well, the the first Mm -hmm. thing you hear... Actually, no, this isn't true. (laughs) The first first thing you hear is, hey, if you can hear me. But then right after that, Mm -hmm. once the strings come in, like, the first thing you hear is the think-you-must-be-seeing-things melody. And then that's the last thing you Mm -hmm. hear at the end of Act 1. And then it's the first thing you hear... At the end of act, or at the beginning of Act Two, mm-hmm. and then you hear it for the actual seeing things finally, um, after hearing it so many times, mm-hmm. and then you never hear it again. Um, mm-hmm. And things like not putting seeing things into the finale or something like that is very intentional. <laughs> that that's sort of a yeah.
1: motif that has to be eradicated. <laughs> um, yeah, it needs to be limited to Moonchild. Yes, and once her influence is gone then you can cut it. Speaking of you had a que- you wanted to talk about seeing things a little bit, correct? Yes. Um I my notes on seeing things are as such. Seeing things is a production masterpiece. <laughs> and that is it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's been very not I don't
0: know if it's surprising to me but just not a thing that I necessarily expected is that seeing things has twice as many plays as any other act two song it's not even close and everyone else i mean all the other songs are sort of neck i think veronica is the is in second place right now which makes a lot of sense i kind of expected veronica to maybe be in first place or something like that but
1: it's not close Mm -hmm. um (laughs)
0: seeing Mm -hmm. things has way more attention than any other song
1: okay well uh that was like my notes but when i think about it a little bit more seeing things is this like really weird song that you used really interesting techniques for that would only have worked if this was kind of a concept album um because like once you transform it into the actual stage you would have to do a different thing in terms of like uh the glitching and the panning of the audio Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing i suppose you could do it technically but beyond my personal experience with that you'd need to talk to like an audio engineer for that um But like in terms of even just when you look at like the text and the content of it, it's 100% just a really, really catchy song melodically. But then also like just this degradation, (laughs) Uh, destruction, let's use that word instead, (laughs) destruction of five psyche happening at the hands of um, Cynthia there um because she is just taking all of these things and all of these like wedges of guilt that exist in five and are just amplifying it to because moonchild is the antithesis of even the worst of you can come back home is what she's hammering mm-hmm. home is that you can't be saved you have done too much wrong how could anybody ever care for you except for me which is a classic like abuse mm-hmm. um isolationist separating from friends uh, i'm the only person who will ever be able to care for you and like even my own capacity for caring for you surprises myself and like all of this stuff mm-hmm. that happens so it, i i'm not I personally love Veronica so much because, uh, there's a lot that goes into that, but like, I can see why seeing things is so popular too. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the way that it plays on those big, heavy emotions and you kind of see the fallout of it a lot. Well, it's also,
0: it's funny cause I know, I don't think everyone thinks about it this way, but for me, seeing things is sort of inseparable from hypnosis like, mm. if I could have made them one track, I think I would have. And it wouldn't have been... Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have come right before I'll Always Bring You Home. And that probably would have mm-hmm. deserved to be in that same track. And then it would have been, like, a 15-minute song or something. Immediately followed by the <laughs> seven-minute Veronica. So it would have been too long. It wouldn't have worked. And I had to break it up. But the the contrast between the slow, hypnotic, one side of Moonchild that's sort of the manipulative, attractive side <laughs> of Moonchild. Almost seductive, you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah for hypnosis. And mm-hmm. then the finally kind of getting control of five at the end and then going into the the whole mm-hmm. flashback and then into mm-hmm. the high strings and the sort of chaotic intro of mm-hmm. seeing things. To me, those are kind of inseparable mm-hmm. because it's uh, Moonchild being one sort of person and talking in one sort of way... Um, and, like, when mm-hmm. I wrote Hypnosis, there's lots and lots of Genesis 3, um, the tree of the knowledge mm-hmm. of good and evil imagery, where, mm-hmm. like, the fruit is pleasant to the eye, and who told you you would surely die? Um, the idea being that what Moonchild is offering is something attractive, which makes sense given the character because what she wants is to make people happy. And the idea that mm-hmm. you can be sort of mindlessly happy. And something that would be particularly attractive to Five at this point. <laughs> but then sort of offering that and pretending that it's one thing. And then the minute that Five has it, it's mm-hmm. just completely turning around. Um, to me, those things are kind of, they work together. They're sort of inseparable.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's the um, drawing in and it reveals a lot about like, because up until that point, you kind of just see that one side and then it's that switch and seeing this other, like, darker side of Moonchild um, to be able to have there. Um, Actually, I kind of wanted to talk about, because the song before Hypnosis is Mercenary Manifesto, and um, you had wondered why it had such a reaction and that sort of thing, but I think that, like, Enter Amelia justifies Mercenary Manifesto, And there's this one line where Amelia just hits five right where it hurts in such a precise pinpoint, very Amelio sort of way of, tell me, do you think you're so much better choosing who's going to live and who's going to die? That like completely wrecks five to the point where they are then open to being, having this like, oh, but can't you just see that everything will be so nice and we can be happy mm. forever sort of message. That, like, um, that lie mm-hmm. that is established. That, like, mercenary manifesto. I mean, it's just a fun villain song. You've got to love a villain song. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that's why I think that part of it is that it serves textually to establish that like this is the sign that like five is not okay Mm -hmm. well that in some sense and like in in the staging in my head that line is directed solely at five like maybe the rest of it is like kind of to like other runners that might be there like maybe you could have jody and owen on stage or something like that but that line specifically is like five oriented and like just knocks five out for the rest of that number Mm -hmm. i think that's a good point actually
0: i mean the fact that it's an attack on five's individuality or like autonomy Mm -hmm. um the -hmm. ability to make choices which in particular opens five up to being controlled because the idea of making Mm -hmm. choices doesn't sound good or attractive if those choices Mm -hmm. are only bad (laughs) if no matter what you're doing Mm -hmm. you're choosing who's going to live and who's going to die um Mm -hmm. and that that's there's no good answer to that (laughs) there are no good choices that Mm -hmm. you can possibly make which in the zombie apocalypse is kind of true um Mm -hmm. there are maybe better choices you can make but a lot of the time your choices aren't good none of the choices are good Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so
1: not wanting to be able to make choices mm -hmm. would be attractive Mm-hmm. And it also ties in then to the like guilt trip that gets played by the thing that is not Sarah but is pretending to be yes. in Five's mind. Yeah, yeah. For me, Sarah's last actual appearance is definitely Remember, mm-hmm. and the th- anything that comes up after that is not. Yes. Speaking of
0: character stuff, and mm-hmm. I mean changes in relationships and things like that. Um, I want to talk about Simon again. <laughs> Uh, I only want to talk about Simon. No, that's not true. But I I did have this question about Simon. Um, mm-hmm. So like, throughout the musical, Simon's relationship with Five kind of takes a backseat to the relationship with Janine. And his relationship with Janine mm-hmm. is really the last thing that's important in his arc. But it's also still mm-hmm. kind of quietly important, like quietly a driving force. Um, And Simon's betrayal obviously mm-hmm. impacts Five a lot. So I'm just curious, like, What do you think is the importance or the significance of the moments that Simon has with five that are one-on-one or that say something about their relationship specifically? And also in forgiveness, Simon's whole, when he shows up, one of the first things he says is not to Janine. He doesn't try to talk to Janine right away. He talks to five and he says, I think Mm -hmm. I know you now took me Mm -hmm. long enough (laughs) and that that somehow is impacting what he's doing
1: now. So I'm just curious what you think about that. How do I say this besides stealing your words mm-hmm. um, from other places where you've talked about it? Because like it's that because um, you had mentioned in the discord. So I'm just going to you know what? I'm going to steal your own words. Go for it. It's OK, because Simon is like very much in like the other songs where he's got those one on one moments with five. It's uh, good morning to the apocalypse and of or morning run. That's the actual name of that song, <laughs> and then of "Masks and Monsters," um, where he's still very much like focused on himself. He's still at the like narcissism end of the scale there. Um, but then in forgiveness, he has made that shift. Um, he hasn't quite course corrected as far as like Moonchild territory or anything like that, but he has become enough to know that um, recognizing the situation and recognizing that this is the solution and that this is kind of his chance to have that hopeful moment in the same way that like Sarah and Chris had of that like sure he says that it's like penance to Janine and that sort of thing for his earlier actions but at the same time it is very much a like somebody has to jump on this grenade, and I can't let it be you mm-hmm. and I think that oh this is a lot of me thinking mm-hmm. this is hard on my brain um <laughs> um but it's that sort of uh evolution and resolution where um like this whole time Simon has been like focusing on himself and on his relationship with Janine. And then it's the like, Oh, I can see you now. Um, that's the main way that he interacts with five is like face to face. Whereas like five and Sam, it's more like voice and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And that's why it's so significant at the end of, I'll always bring you home with five's line, um, that we decided to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that's, like, the the important part of it, because, like, I don't know, in my head, Morning Run is staged where, at first, Five doesn't like Simon, and then, like, through the course of Morning Run, kind of warms up to this, like, goofball. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, the other stuff that happens, which complicates the relationship in a major way, and then you have them, like, confronting in mask of masks and monsters, and, like, my own five has like her relationship and that sort of thing. And that might be coloring my interpretation of the text a little bit. Um, my reading of five relationship with Sam um, or with Simon mm-hmm. character. names, <laughs> Brain stop working um, <laughs> um, to the point, but like throughout it, most of it has been most of the emotional labor. I don't want to like completely say, mm-hmm. but like, most of the like changes in the relationship have been on Five's part, but then you have Simon who's like turning around kind mm-hmm. of and is like, Oh, like this relationship is also important to me. It's not the same sort as mine with Janine, but um, it's still something that matters, and you matter to me, and now I can like see you as a person whose well being is important to mm-hmm. me,
0: and I think also just like. The fact that Simon has so much guilt, Mm. and finally kind of opens his eyes and uncovers his ears enough (laughs) to realize (laughs) that Five does too, and that he kind of sees Mm. that for the first time, which he never noticed because he was so focused on himself. And also, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is just like... And he's able to engage empathetically with Five at that point. Right. Right, where he always could have. They always could have had that mm-hmm. connection, and they just never did because Simon didn't realize that mm-hmm. five was the same Was the same when it came to being mm-hmm. guilty um, or feeling guilty. But also, I mean, there's just a little bit of insight mm-hmm. on why I wrote that the way that I did. Or at least the whole, um, you. I know what you think you have to do, what you think you've done, but it's not you... It wasn't you. It's not you. It never was. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite books is The Brothers Karamazov uh, by Dostoevsky. Um, okay. And there's this scene. Spoilers for Brothers K, so skip ahead, like, a minute if you don't want to hear about Brothers <laughs> K. But um, the, it's basically a murder mystery, and there's a father mm-hmm. and his three sons. And the three sons are super different. Um, one son mm-hmm. is... A novice in a monastery he wants to be a monk he's just this pure innocent adorable little thing he's the youngest mm-hmm. um and then the one in the middle is stoic and cynical and almost like uh he's he's weighed down <laughs> by the the weight of all the guilt in the whole world and everything that's wrong and evil with everything and he can't
1: mm-hmm. deal
0: with that basically and so he's cynical and has difficulty believing in the things that the youngest brother believes in, etc. And then there's the oldest brother who's just kind of a hedonist and thinks that pleasure is the only good and, like, isn't particularly weighed down by guilt because he's not particularly weighed down by anything at all. Um, So those are the three (laughs) brothers. The father gets murdered. And there's a decent amount of evidence that it was the oldest brother. And so it's kind of the original courtroom drama. There's this big Mm -hmm. trial that's going to happen. But the middle brother, whose name is Ivan, um, who's the cynical one, he starts acting really strange and is getting sick and losing weight and avoiding people and giving all of this psychological evidence that maybe he's feeling guilty. And so as the reader, you start Mm -hmm. thinking that maybe Ivan did it, that maybe Ivan is the one who killed their Mm -hmm. father. Um, and then there's this scene, that's my favorite scene in the whole book, where the youngest brother, whose name is Alyosha, who's the adorable, innocent one, mm-hmm. he sees Yvonne, like, at someone else's house. Yvonne kind of tries to run away and get away from him. Alyosha basically chases him down in the hallway and stops him. Um, and at this point, as the reader, you're still thinking it was probably, like, it was it was probably Yvonne, <laughs> not the oldest mm-hmm. brother. And then Alyosha says, um listen, I need to tell you something. And Yvonne's like, no, I have to go, and trying to leave. And Alyosha like, stops him and says, I'm here to speak to you. The word I have spoken to you for the whole of your life, do you hear me? The whole of your life. It was not you who killed Father. It was not you. Um, and you find out, like, by the end of that, that's true. <laughs> it wasn't Yvonne, and you were <laughs> wrong as the reader. But that whole idea that you could take on the guilt that you don't deserve Mm
1: -hmm. and just sort
0: of be weighed down by the guilt of the whole world or everything that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes you need to be told that you were wrong and you need to be told that you Mm -hmm. were guilty for doing something so that you can make it right. And that sometimes you're taking on guilt that doesn't belong to you. Mm. And that's what I was thinking when I wrote that line from Simon where he says that exact mm. thing, it wasn't you. <laughs> um, because there's a lot of guilt that Five has taken on that Five actually doesn't deserve. So yeah, that's that's sort of why I wrote that line, at least the way I did.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, and I see that now. Because um, Simon... That recontextualizes the penance line for me, I mm. think. Because... Let's talk religious imagery for a moment. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, Moonchild, it comes up a lot, but, like, she, Moonchild, she sees herself as kind of a Christ-like figure, where she's dying so that all the suffering in the world can mm-hmm. end. Um, but then, it's revealed that, like, no, you're your intentions might be good. It's like it's a cool motive still murder kind of situation mm-hmm. where it's like clearly you're coming from a good place, but like your execution has a few errors in judgment here. Yeah. Also like living in a perfect world where happiness is forever is would be like nice, but we're also literally in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So like we need to be able to like mourn incompleted relationships and like be able to uh, grieve what the worlds that we have lost. Even just looking at it from that perspective, and like, never mind on an individual level, life as you know it is done, mm-hmm. and you need to be able to like put that to bed, mm-hmm. um, and to be able to like deal with like that. Like, if you're happy forever, then like you're not going to have fear responses when you see zombies, mm-hmm. and like fear response is like an integral part of staying alive (laughs) um so like all of this sort of stuff and then simon comes on and he's like actually the christ figure in this case where he's dying he's serving penance not just for his own sins but like by he kind of takes on Mm fives he doesn't take on the whole suffering of the whole world but he takes on five's own feelings of guilt of like a complicated relationship where like five feels responsible for archie and responsible for sarah Mm. and responsible for like the damages to like latisha greenwald and like abel and all of that and simon's like nope it's mine now yeah you parachute you'd zipline away now i've got this yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: that's a really good point and it actually um about the, the penance line. So, obviously, Simon is, like, grew up Catholic. Um, so his whole mm-hmm. conception of penance is a Catholic conception of penance. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I think is really interesting is that the Catholic conception of penance, you know, generally is like, okay, so you go to the priest, you say, I committed this sin. And the priest says, okay, um, like, for absolution, like, to be absolved of those sins, what you have to do is go... I don't know, recite ten Hail Marys, whatever. You, you mm-hmm. do something that's usually a prayer sort of thing that is kind of unrelated to the sin um, that mm-hmm. then absolves you of the sin. But an interesting thing is that that practice is actually kind of a morphing of a much older practice, which is mm-hmm. the same idea, um, but instead you go to the priest, you confess a sin... And then the priest doesn't have to, like, assign you penance. But if they do, what they ask you to do is something that is meant to make you better or Mm -hmm. help you make it right. Because the idea is that the thing that Mm -hmm. you did is just making things a little bit more wrong and that you can make those things right. Mm -hmm. So, for I mean, this is just like Mm a petty little example, but if you went... Uh, the older practices, if you went to a priest and said, "Hey, I've been spending too much time on my phone, <laughs> um, and that's making me <laughs> ignore my family or uh, neglect other things that I need to do, or something like that," then the priest might say, "Okay, mm-hmm. um, cool. You're absolved of those sins. Also, go like, don't be on your phone after seven p.m. <laughs> Just put it away at seven, mm-hmm. and then don't be on your phone anymore." And that would be the older equivalence of, like, penance, where it's just something that's making it right or making Mm -hmm. you better. Um, And so, to me, when Simon says it's penance, I think that's what it is. I think this counts. is sort of him Mm -hmm. rediscovering uh, that older (laughs) way of thinking about it, where it's not Mm -hmm. just, like, a random thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's something that makes it right. The original mm-hmm. thing. Because what he does at the end of the song Forgiveness, the, in the Ice Cream Tower, mm-hmm. is the inverse <laughs> of mm-hmm. what he did. And that's why, I mean, the mm-hmm. whole, my eyes are finally open and I'm listening, is the inverse of close your eyes and cover your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that he's just undoing, he's reversing or making right the things he did that were wrong. So anyway...
1: I didn't think about that before, but I thought about that when you started talking about the penance line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's it as well, is that Simon is searching very desperately for forgiveness. um, And penance is an important first step in that. Because when forgiveness is never about the person who injured the other party, Mm -hmm. it's um, theologically from my background, Mm -hmm. from what I understand, forgiveness is the injured party deciding to that the injury can be resolved mm-hmm. and like can be forgiven. So that's why it's important for Simon that he's asking Janine mm-hmm. for forgiveness um, because she was the most injured by his own actions there. Um, and she's uh, there are days when I think I do. Oh, mm-hmm. f- um, because Janine's this really fascinating character Um, as well where uh, she's very much about risk reward all the time and I'm going to use this after to transition to uh, a different thing a different question you had Um, but Janine is very much running the numbers deciding minimal risks deciding like what is the least amount of sacrifices we can make for the most benefit Mm -hmm. is like her whole thing and then Simon's here and he's like I know that like, that I messed up. I know that I hurt you and I hurt Abel and I hurt everything you stand for in the past. Are you still okay with me after that? Mm-hmm. Kind of like, I am sorry, legitimately, and I'm prepared to do something that proves my words. And she's like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Because she can see that and see the honesty and see like... In a sense, this is him emotionally getting on his knees in front of her and saying, like, here it is. I don't have any excuses. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And her accepting that and offering forgiveness and saying, you're doing the right thing.
0: On that note, um, one thing that gets me about Janine is that she is a certain kind of person. And in general, Mm -hmm. she just kind of is pretty straightforward, at least in... Acts 1 and 2, and, like, seasons 1 through 3, mm-hmm. there's a lot of her character that's mm-hmm. very... I mean, because she has a military background, she's just very... No-nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, She does what she needs to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that... At least, I think especially in the musical, she has a little bit of an exception for Simon. <laughs> and
1: an mm-hmm. exception
0: that she doesn't really understand. Like, in, in the first act, when... Um, it's clear that the traitor has to be Simon. And she's like, Mm -hmm. no, it can't be. It's gotta be five. Mm -hmm. And Sam's the one who realizes, Mm -hmm. no, it has to be three. And there's the whole, why can't you see what everyone else knows? Which is what Janine Mm -hmm. said to Sam originally. Like, you... Mm -hmm. You're being blinded by the fact that you have affection for this person. Mm -hmm. And then Sam repeats that back to her. That you're being blinded by the fact that you have affection for this person. Which is not something she's used to. She's not used to having that kind of blind Mm -hmm. spot for a certain person. Um, Mm -hmm. and then at the beginning of Act Two and Come Back Home, the whole, Mm -hmm. someone take this silly hope away, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that she's not used to having that kind of response to someone. She's not used to waiting for someone to come back home, like Sam does, because she's not usually Mm -hmm. like that, but she is for Simon, um, Mm -hmm. which is why I think the whole, there are days that I think I do, it's not, it's not all the time. She maybe doesn't believe in forgiveness mm-hmm. all the time, but she does right now, and she does for Simon, because of, I mean, this just come back to the whole, love compels the worst of us to come back home, <laughs> 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 that she changes in a way for Simon, or she thinks differently for Simon because of love. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that she wouldn't for anyone else.
1: Anyway, anyway, you want to talk mm-hmm. about something else oh yeah well i was kind of using that to springboard off of because like janine is this very like emotionally walled off sort of person and then um in raise the gates you have her and sam butting heads in a way that they do so very often in act one or in season mm-hmm. one of um sam is very much more emotionally open and available compared to janine um And so you have these two ideas that like conflict against each other and you do that in Raise the Gates really well. And then you do Reunion, a similar thing where you've got uh, Maxine's sort of hope of like that sort of there is redemption for those who come back home versus Paula's like, no, I've done something like that can't go, can't be repaired, uh, beating heads in like the most beautiful possible way um reunion is one of those songs that just like gets me Mm. it makes me need to like take a deep breath and lie down like i need to be prepared emotionally (laughs) to listen to reunion in a way that i'm not i don't always need to do for the rest of the songs like just something about the way that you've done that one just really knocks it out of the park and then you have it again kind of in veronica um where it's it's not quite like Two characters fighting against each other directly, but you have Chris who is dying and leaving a message for Veronica, and like his last thoughts are so other centered. And then you've got the comparison right in that very same song of Van Ark who's thinking about like power and influence mm-hmm. uh, for himself. Again, that sort of ideological conflict between altruism and narcissism coming mm-hmm. up. Um, And that one is a little bit more chaotic because there's no uh, synthesis of the two ideas the same way that there is for, like, Raise the Gates Reunion. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just was, like, wondering, like, how you were... what thoughts you were putting in behind it when you were writing these sort of conflicts. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I remember for sure when writing Raise the Gates especially, Mm -hmm. a major thought that I had was the idea that I wanted Sam and Janine in the verses to be musically interrupting each other the whole time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like um the first verse with the whole five on your mark janine this is my job like every single line they're interrupting each other um and then mm-hmm. in the second verse they do the exact same thing they just switch lines so mm-hmm. um janine's first line which is a five on your mark that same melody is inverse to the You promised a plan. And then she takes the higher part and, like, it switches. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea being that they're on the same... They want the same thing, really. They just Mm -hmm. have very different ways of getting there. Um, (laughs) And so they interrupt each other and are sort of on the same chords and on the same wavelength. It's just not in harmony. And then the thing that they do agree on, they sing together. And that's the chorus. And that's the part where they sort of Mm -hmm. come into harmony with each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is just the mission, the overall goal itself, is where they agree. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They just disagree a lot of times about
1: how you get there and how you treat people as you get Mm -hmm. there. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, because Sam is definitely a lot more risk-adverse than Janine is. He's very much like the, okay, my priority is keeping these people safe while they do the mission. Whereas Janine's more like okay, if we need to sacrifice some pawns to accomplish checkmate, then let's do yes. that. Yes, it's true. Um,
0: but I actually think that there's a little bit of that same, I mean, musically, the idea of interruption and then kind of coming together, there's that same idea, especially in mm-hmm. Reunion. Um, the whole, mm-hmm. we'll never make it, but even so we'll try. There are things that you don't know. That whole thing is like mm-hmm. interrupting. <laughs> Every single line is interrupting the the other person um, with something that they haven't quite finished saying um, mm-hmm. and then when the two parts of the song the Paula's part and then Maxine's part come into counterpoint at the end it works together mm-hmm. and it harmonizes but it's not quite the same as Raise the Gates <laughs> um, it's mm-hmm. in counterpoint because it's similar ideas that work together but they're not the same idea at least not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then when it gets to the end of that song, their back and forth at the end is sort of the first time that they're mm-hmm. not interrupting each other in the song or talking over each other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like Paula says, you'll stay with me. And it's a question. And Maxine mm-hmm. says, always. With all I've done, I've already forgotten. Um, and then they finally mm-hmm. like, have their actual singing together in harmony for the first time in the whole song. At the very last line. Mm-hmm.
1: So you go from... Which they knock out of the park. <laughs> and they're so good. Mm-hmm. They're so um, good. Our friends are so good. That's always my first thought whenever I listen to this musical is... Friends, good, talented, so talented, yes. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, the whole idea that they musically interrupt each other and then finally at the end, mm-hmm. the only place where they actually aren't in conflict anymore is when they listen to each other. When Paula asks a question mm-hmm. and believes Maxine's mm-hmm. answer, which... Incidentally, actually also ties back to forgiveness with the fact that Mm -hmm. a lot of Simon's redemption is tied up in the fact that he asks a question and waits for the answer, which Mm -hmm. he's never done. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know, this is sort of a broad interpretation of lots of conflict in the musical, but I think this partially stems from the fact that just presuppositionally, I'm a huge fan of... The idea that really the way that you communicate with anyone is just understanding that everyone around you wants different things than you do. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it means you have to listen. And when you ask questions, wait for an answer. <laughs> and not answer questions mm. for people. And understand that. I mean, I read somewhere that the mark of a relationship between adults is that you can ask for something knowing that the answer might be no. Um mm-hmm. And that an immature relationship or relationship between like an adult and a child (laughs) or two children is a relationship where you either don't feel comfortable asking for something knowing the answer might be no or you ask for things expecting that this other person has to do it for you or has to say yes Mm. anyway so i I do think that those those moments of interrupting musically are important Mm -hmm. in contrast to the moments where musically someone asks a question and then waits for there to be an answer.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I did want to make a quick comment. Uh, we're talking about Simon a lot, given that we were supposed to do an overall view. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, I wanted to point out that something that you really do. Um, and there's two different ways that these three characters are linked. So Simon Van Ark and Moonchild all are like, they're kind of foils for each other. They kind of play off of each other in different ways. I mean, like we said, we have the two uh, antagonists in Van Ark and Moonchild who are on opposite ends of the ideological spectrum. Mm -hmm. But then we have Simon who like has character development that like moves along this sort of scale and ends up in a different place than where he began. Um, Ideologically speaking, and like kind of proves the central thesis of like, you can always come back home. Um, And home is a place where you're willing to make sacrifices for other people to be engaging in them with love and community and belonging and acceptance. And so the the ways that you link them is really interesting because um, first off, they're all the characters who like use explicit institutional religious imagery, whereas like they make specific references to like Cain and Abel the Garden of Eden, Mm -hmm. um, penance as, like, an institution, like, as a Catholic concept. Whereas, like, other characters talk about, like, spiritualism and spiritual beliefs, like Sarah and Sam both talk about something beyond the sky. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite as, like, specific as, like, um, Cain and Abel or Satan, Garden Mm -hmm. of Eden, that sort of stuff. Um, The other way is that they all have... At least um, we've Canon Van Ark, but there's implications that su- in the text that support it. They all have diegetically occurring songs, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which I thought was a- another great way that you kind of linked these characters together is that like Morning Run is canonically Simon singing, uh, Stardust is Moonchild canonically singing, Cain and Abel is Van Ark canonically singing. In the space of the musical, whereas the rest of the songs are kind of like the music could be interpreted as just like the expansion of like extreme emotion or plot and that sort of thing, um and I thought that was a really neat uh technique that you did. I don't know how intentional that was on your part to do
0: <laughs> honestly, I don't know how um, intentional it was either mm-hmm. because, like I was saying earlier i write a song and then sometimes just completely forget the entire process of getting there <laughs> so
1: <laughs>
0: i don't really know <laughs> and that's all we have for the first part of this episode uh you can tune in soon to hear the second part where Cass and i keep talking about probably honestly more simon um for now you can find me sophie at on tumblr at just another cricket You can also ask questions or give comments about the musical uh, by going to the website, zombiesrunmusical.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Tumblr, at zombiesrunmusical. We're also on Instagram, zombiesrunmusical. Cass, you can find on Tumblr, indelible coloring markers. That's indelible and then a hyphen, coloring, spelled with a U, and then uh, markers. So go check Cass out uh ask me questions if you want to and we will see you next time stay safe out there